and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I am David Bax. And thank you for listening. David, how you doing? I'm ready to do it. I am ready to get this over with. <laughs> no, I'm joking. I, uh, I'm in a bad mood, though. Why are you in a bad mood? Because uh, I have every right to be... Uh, uh, you were there when this happened. Yeah, you I, and I were standing out front of my apartment. Yeah. Uh, you know, chilling. Yeah. Uh, talking. Yeah. And a neighbor came out and complained that we were too loud because apparently Teresa and I do that every night. We always have people over, and we are always outside talking and chilling. And well, and also, David, you, right. also David, you are a smoker, and you try not to smoke in your house. So that's what I think. That's what forces you outside. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I'm not. I'm not judging you. I'm just saying, like you know, I don't spend very much time on my patio unless I'm doing some grilling. Yeah. So I'm just. Uh, I'm all down in the dumps because I feel like I'm a bad neighbor. I like my neighbor. She's a very nice woman, and yeah. uh, I just. I just feel bad. You feel bad. Yeah. Well, you know what? It's not the end of the world. But I tell you what. Here's why I feel. Why I feel good. Why do you feel good, Tyler? We have arrived. You and I. <laughs> You know, here's the thing. I was thinking of bringing this up, and then I thought, no, 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 that's too, uh, that's too, uh, you know, self indulgent. Uh, but now that you are, uh, yes, by all means, yeah, let's talk about it. I, I've always said that that I would not feel like we are truly out there. It's, yeah, you know, people are not truly listening until we get a bad review on iTunes, right? And uh, it, because if you're just getting good reviews, then you're just appealing to. Right. Uh, a small group of people who are just predisposed to like what you do. Right. But now, we're apparently... Hold on. These are there. All right. We're apparently well-known enough that people who are not predisposed to like what we do yeah. are hearing us. That's right. So we got a two-star review on iTunes, and I couldn't be happier. I know. I know. It threw off our four-and-a-half-star average. Yeah. Uh, now we're down to four. Uh, but... Uh, Thankfully, somebody commented after this guy with a five-star review, so hopefully we're, we're bumped back up. When you have as few reviews as we do, <laughs> one review can really uh, make or break you. Uh, but, uh, yeah, and... You and, know why? Because we don't do the thing that so many other podcasts do. Right. We don't ask you, to, you the listener, to, hey, review us on iTunes, you know? Though you could say we just did. Oh, I guess, yeah, <laughs> by patting ourselves on the back. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but... Uh, no, now I got something else to feel bad about. I'm just in a, a big old down-in-the-dumps mood today. Well, I can't say as I blame you. I'm going to change the subject because we – I will say this. We lost two uh, very uh, important uh, artists uh, in the last couple of days. Uh, I thought you were going to say we lost some listeners. Do you uh, think these guys were listeners? I can't, I can't imagine they weren't. Okay. Um, although Isaac Hayes doesn't think that we uh, watch enough mainstream films, um, <laughs> or rather didn't. Um, okay, yeah, I, uh, that's another thing that I'm happy about is that yeah. we got a bad review and it's fucking dumb. Right, <laughs> like it, it's not like it. It didn't. It didn't hit us where we live at all. Exa- right, and and that's the thing is just when I'm worried, and I'm still that's the thing. I'm still worried. This part of me feels like uh, you know I don't. I really don't fill the the niche enough. Because I, I feel like I don't know enough obscure films, enough foreign films and stuff like that. I feel like I'm too mainstream. Then this comment comes along, says that, that we're not mainstream enough. And I'm just like, what? Uh-huh. Favorite movie last year, Ratatouille. Really? <laughs> I, you got nothing for that? But uh, anyway, so, uh, but yes, to get back uh, on, uh, on topic, I guess. Uh, yeah, so uh, yesterday, uh, Bernie Mac passed away. 
And, yeah, Friday uh, I got uh, an, an Entertainment Weekly in the mail in right. which it said uh, Bernie Mac is in the hospital for pneumonia. His doctors say he's recuperating. Right. Next day. Next day, boom. Yeah, and uh, apparently he had uh, some kind of lung problem anyway, and so pneumonia yeah. really you know, got right on top of him. And, uh, and it bummed me out because uh, I, I wrote a blog about it, so you can, you can read that or you can just listen to this because I'm going to repeat what I, what I said on that. Um, that it's just uh, I did not know who he was until you suggested we go see the original Kings of Comedy uh, in Springfield, oh, right. Missouri. Yeah. And, uh, and he was the last one of the four to go on. Um, and he was the only one that I hadn't really heard of. Uh, I had heard of Cedric the Entertainer. I had heard of D.L. Hughley and Steve Harvey. And then he just freaking blew the roof off the place. He was just, he was such an, he was such an odd stage presence, you know, just the way, I mean, he, he came off as sort of, this is going to sound kind of strange. He kind of came off as Lewis Black, just so blustery and uh-huh. so frustrated with life that he couldn't even <laughs> say every letter in the word. Like he just, he would just mumble just frustratedly <laughs> and just. And it was funny. It was all. It was very funny. It was really. He's, solid. he's definitely the best one in that in that film. Oh yeah, yeah. Cedric the Entertainer is pretty funny, but uh, but just and and what's more is what happened uh, though with Cedric the Entertainer because he wasn't. Yeah, he's not bad in original Kings of Comedy, but he's never entertained me since uh i never saw the honeymooners but i always thought that that was an interesting bit of casting uh-huh. like one that i think if done right could have been good but i haven't i haven't seen it uh where he plays of course ralph cramden but um but yeah uh yeah i don't think i've seen him in anything uh worth watching uh since then but well, he um, was a second banana on the steve harvey show on right occasion, and then he had like a variety show i think yeah, I think like Cedric the Entertainer pr- presents or something. Right. Yeah, and then I saw his. Uh, he did an HBO special that. Okay. Was, he clearly likes the variety. Like likes the variety. I'm talking about him. Like he's dead. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> likes the variety because there's like there's a lot of singing and dancing in his one hour special. Well, why not? And why wouldn't there be? You know, he's an entertainer. He exactly. He's it's not Cedric the comedian. You know, that's just one part of it. I first heard Cedric. I know we're talking about Bernie Mac here, but that's fine. We'll get back to him. I first heard Cedric the Entertainer in the little like uh, phone message skits that he did on Nelly's first album. Okay, uh, uh, yeah, I, I didn't. Which are I think very funny. Okay, so yeah, check those out, and uh, I'll make it a priority. Um, you don't have to. He's still alive. Oh, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> once once he kicks off, and uh, yeah, I, I could see that coming. Um, then uh, then I'll check out Nelly's first album, but. Um, but Bernie Mac, what I liked about him uh, in his stand-up and then in his show, which, which I, I didn't see a lot, but I, what I saw I really liked, yeah. is that he, uh, even in his stand-up where he basically talks about, you know, taking care of his brothers or, or his sister's kids and just how they're just, they just annoy the hell out of him and stuff. Like, he doesn't, like, he doesn't play certain things like maudlin like he could have, uh-huh. you know, like the idea of. Hey, family is important, and you know you just you look at. I don't. I'm not going to break these kids up. I'll take care of them. Like he doesn't play it for applause. Uh-huh. He doesn't play it for tears. He doesn't tug at your heartstrings. He 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 basically uses it as a setup so he can make jokes. And and I like that because it's just it's like he understands that just the action of him doing what he did that's enough. You know he doesn't have to comment on it. Just the situation that he's in speaks to you know how big of a heart he must have had as a person and i think it came through in his show quite a bit as well um but for my money uh him and bad santa is 
him and John Ritter were yeah. the most unlikely, hilarious comedy team I've ever seen. Just him just saying awful things, knowing full well they're going to get under this, guy, this you know, geeky white guy's skin. And then John Ritter like, ugh. You know, <laughs> uh, it was, yeah. And he, I, Bernie Mac also... Probably my favorite scene in Ocean's Eleven is when oh, he goes yeah. to rent the van, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Griffin, he's like shaking the guy's hand. Do you moisturize? It's oh, yeah. so awesome. You know, and then, of course, when he's... Uh, and then he has another great scene with Andy Garcia and Matt Damon where he's uh, talking about, you know, talking about the racism oh, yeah. of uh, the National uh, Nevada Gaming Commission. And, um, but yeah, so he was, he was great. I liked him. I liked him a lot. And he was very young. He was only 50. And, uh, and it just, uh, it, it really bummed me out when I heard it. I hadn't really seen him in anything uh, recently, but I know that uh, he did finish a documentary about like him on the road or something like that, or maybe his story. So, and that's apparently going to come out later on this year. So I'm really looking forward to it. Um, and then, of course, the next day, today, you find out about Isaac Hayes. Yeah. And, uh, and that one, you know, uh, is, is interesting in its own, in its own way. Cause I, you know, I think of him as the guy that did the theme from shaft. He also acted in several things, but, uh, but like the, the whole, the, he did the whole soundtrack for shaft and it was really good. I, I owned it for a while. Um, I own one of those things. I, I talk about this so often on the show that I feel like people are probably getting sick of it, but it's yeah. a thing like, like, uh, like Rocky or Saturday night fever where yeah. you think of it. Because it represents so much about the era. Right. You know, you think of it as like a joke. You right. know, like you think of the theme from Shaft as like, it's like a punchline because it's so it's kind of like it's very much the funk. Very much so. Of that, you know, it, it represents it's so much of its time that it can't, right. you can't help but use it as a as a touchstone for jokes about that time. Yeah. But the the whole score and especially that theme from Shaft is amazing. It is. And it won, it won the Oscar for best yeah. song that year, which is awesome in and of itself. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, like, that was really great. And on a side note, uh, anybody who's interested in good music from the 70s, uh, Shaft soundtrack, Superfly soundtrack, also absolutely amazing. But anyway, um, but what I will say is, you know, has there ever been, like, a celebrity that you just kind of feel like, I don't know, maybe they, you know, maybe they take themselves too seriously or something? Uh, I don't know why. Can I think if there's any celebrities yeah. that might be so yeah, too just, seriously? Just, I'll give you a minute. I'll give you uh, a few minutes to come up with uh, one or two. <laughs> um, but like Isaac Hayes was not one of those. He yeah. was in comedies. He was in I'm going to get you, sucker. Uh-huh. And he was really funny in it. And then, of course, the lines that he was given to say as chef yeah. in uh, South Park, like, you know, he was an older guy by the time you know, he got that show and he had to sing songs about his chocolate salty balls and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, it's fascinating. It's like, he was on board for this. Not only was he on board, he freaking threw himself into it, oh, yeah. you know, with, I mean, and, and I just, that, that level of commitment is uh, something that I just really admire. Like anytime somebody kind of from, kind of an old school way of thinking is just so on board with what he's doing. Uh, I don't know. I, I respect that. So I'm, I'm bummed out that he passed away uh, as well. Both of them, uh, both him and Bernie Mac fairly young. So yeah. yeah. So we, uh, we have battleship retention. I think we'll, we'll miss them. Absolutely. So, but uh, now, now how, how long we've been going for? Okay. <laughs> I think, I think it's fine. Yeah. Let's get into it. Shall we? So, yeah. 
Music, music month, music month continues. Yeah. Now, actually, I did have. Uh, I was talking to somebody the other day, and uh, and don't worry, I'm about to make a joke. Uh, don't worry, uh, music month is not going to interfere with Rocktober. All right, we've still got that covered. We're gonna, you know, we're gonna basically just talk about, uh, you know, Zeppelin uh-huh. and uh, and uh, Skinnerd and Sabbath all through October. Just that month, it's just gonna be music okay. all the way. I always love I always love Rocktober in Missouri because okay. it was a thing. It was like I had I had first heard the phrase as a joke by like a stand up comic, and then I moved to Missouri and uh, I was listening to one of the classic rock stations. And it's like it's Rocktober, <laughs> one everybody. Of one of the many classic yeah. rock stations, and uh, they're like it's Rocktober, everybody. And I was like, it's awesome. You guys are serious, but it's it's a classic rock station. What are they playing the other eleven months? <laughs> Like are they? Are they really? Are they really like holding back reserve rock exactly. for October? Right. It's all. F- it's it's mostly just James Taylor and folky stuff the rest <laughs> of the year, and then uh, then it's time to bust out the Zeppelin. But um, but yeah. So so last week talked about music uh, biopics. Uh, next week, uh, it's a little up in the air actually. Yeah, probably still going to be uh, rock rock docs. docs. But we're, we're, uh, we might have to switch around to musicals. Whatever. Right. We'll see. That's fine. You guys stay. This tuned. week, however. This week, Separate from Rock Docs. Right. Um, concert films. Concert films. Uh, I mean, pretty much specifically rock and roll concert films. Although right. I've got, I've got some other ones on my list. Okay. Uh, that are, you know, tangential to rock and roll. Yeah. But, uh, uh, and, yeah, it's, it's weird making this distinction between concert films and Rock Docs because a lot, there's a lot of overlap. There is, yes. Um and uh, and I myself, when you first said, okay, we're going to do one week is going to be this, one week is going to be that, and I was like, um, I'm going to run out of things to say because isn't it basically the same? And uh, upon you know researching it, they are actually it's it's not necessarily a fine line. There is a lot of overlap, yeah. but they are very different. Yes. So just in case <laughs> anybody was like, I, I don't want to listen to both of these because it's the same thing. It is not. Now. Um Going into this episode, we each, you and I each have an apology to make. Yes. Because there are two, the, what are often held up as the two greatest rock and roll films, or, or concert films. Okay. You and I have each seen one. Okay. Luckily, we've, we've seen the other one. Right, right. Uh, so I have seen Stop Making Sense, the Talking Heads film. And I have seen uh, Woodstock. No, that's not what I was going to say. Oh, The Last Waltz? The Last Waltz. Right. But you've also seen Woodstock, which I haven't. Right. So, uh, bully for you. I, I I started watching The Last Waltz over the, this past week. I'm, yeah. I'm sure the listeners are getting tired of me talking about how busy I am, but seriously, yeah. I'm really busy. He's very busy. Um, so I didn't I, I I didn't get to finish The Last Waltz. I, I very much liked what I saw. Uh, yeah, and I can tell you that DVD is uh, beautiful looking, pristine. It it really is. I like it. I like good DVD packaging. You know, when but they I mean, take the it actual, seriously. Like the the, uh, the transfer. Oh yeah, it's gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, just uh, everything about it, class act. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I guess, I mean, we're talking about The Last Walls. Do you want to start, do you want to start with that one? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Um, so that's, okay, so I guess first off, uh, up until, you know, this, really the only concert film I had seen was The Rolling Stones' Gimme Shelter. Uh, that was a few years ago. I couldn't tell you much about it, except that the, that film was as much about the, the violence that erupted with the Hells Angels as it was the music on stage. And uh, 
but it did capture the event. Uh-huh. And that's and I think that's that's the main difference between a rock doc and a concert film. A concert film, it's all about the event, what's happening right now. Whereas yeah. rock docs are usually a look back uh, or something like that. Sure. Yeah. Um, and the last waltz, I mean, that was I I didn't know anything about it. I literally thought it was about Zeppelin. Really? I, yeah, I didn't know what it was about, <laughs> and I don't know why I thought that. It's very strange. But uh, but so I was like, oh, the band. I know, you know, I know that wonderful song, The Weight. I know uh-huh. nothing beyond that. So I went in just not really knowing anything. I didn't even know they had a whole bunch of guest stars, uh, yeah. which, you know, freaking thrilled me. But uh, I realized, and that's another thing is I, just, I wasn't really looking forward to this one because I just thought, it's like, yeah, they're just going to shoot a concert, whatever. I'm not there. So yeah. why would I, uh, why would I care, you know? Uh-huh. But then The Last Waltz changed my mind. It blew me away. I mean, it really... There's a reason that it's considered one of the best uh, concert films, and it's because Scorsese... And if you can watch the special features on it, uh, I recommend it, because the amount of preparation that Scorsese put into it... I mean, it's just as much preparation as he must have put into any of his other films. Mm -hmm. It's not nearly... But it it looks gritty. It looks kind of slapped together a little bit um and i feel like he did that on purpose like he yeah, wanted it to look I, that way i remember there, there are scenes that they're like playing pool and talking right. and like this this could be out of mean streets like, it, very much it so. feels so much like a scorsese movie right and and the and the concert footage itself it just feels like you know there's kind of some abrupt cuts and stuff like that and it's like it feels sloppy but I feel like that was a choice that he made. There's very few, like, you know, nice dissolves or anything like that. It just cuts from one thing to the other. And I feel like, you know, it kind of, as strange as it may sound, you know, rock and roll, especially back then, and especially the kind that the band, uh, you know, specialized in, uh, was kind of that sloppy, gritty kind of thing. And the, the filmmaking style really fit the music they were, that they were uh, playing, I thought. Um, but uh, you look like you're about to start smiling. What what, what is it? No, I don't oh, okay, all right. I don't know. I was, uh, I'm I'm worried that I might be running off at the mouth. Um, but uh, it, is just, uh, it is a we're, podcast. We're podcasters, yeah. right? 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 Yeah. No one's uh, no one's gonna say anything. Um, but uh, another thing that I that I think is brilliant about the way Scorsese shot it, and we actually talked about this uh, a long time ago when we talked about uh, stand up concert films uh, with Graham Elwood is that, uh, and I was talking about Bill Cosby himself, is that they, in that, they never shoot the audience. And in this one, they, ne- they shoot the audience only when, you know, they're shooting the musicians from the back. You know, they never cut to the audience or anything like that. And, and I, I kind of like that. Not to imply that the audience isn't important. It absolutely is. And I think the, the band themselves would say that, that, you know, they need to feel that connection with the audience. But having all their friends on and having this be just everything about it was the tone of like a bunch of old friends getting together and just kind of having this jam session. Mm -hmm. And in that instance, the audience isn't important. And so bringing them in would have seemed jarring. It was really just about these old guys who not old, but like these old friends who have a history together and they're just getting together one last time. You know, it just, it felt like, you know, it felt it had kind of an odd tone. I mean, I felt sad at the end of it, and I didn't even know anything about the band, you know. Yeah. But I just, 
I was like, oh, this is the last time they ever played. It's like, yeah, it was 30 years ago, and you don't know anything about the band. Why do you feel this way? Uh-huh. And it's because Scorsese just so expertly captured the tone on stage. Um, you know, I mean, it almost felt like, this is going to sound also a little strange, but like, you know how like at, like at a wake or at a funeral or something like that, you get you get together with friends, and you kind of have this cathartic laugh. Like, you're oh, yeah. no longer sad. You are sad, but... You're also kind of remembering the person that has passed and the memories you all share together. And it felt like that. It was sad, but everybody on stage was legitimately having a good time. And uh, it just it really, by the end of it, I'm like, not only, not only did I want to own a lot of music by the band, I wanted to own this documentary because uh-huh. it was just so wonderfully shot. It, as odd as it may sound, it may be like in the top, in my top five favorite Scorsese films, which is strange to say. Cool. And I got to finish watching. Yeah, you, you absolutely do. It's really great. And it's enough to make me, I remember when we had uh, Jimmy Pardo on, he talked about seeing shine a light and how he thought it wasn't that interesting. Uh, but I'm, I'm almost willing to not almost, I am now going to watch it. Yeah. To see what Scorsese brings to that as well. Yeah. But so yeah, it's uh, it's wonderful. Everybody should absolutely go out and see it, even if you don't know anything about uh, the band or any of the performers. It's just a great film in general. Um, yeah. Well, before I get to stop making sense, I okay. want to uh, say one thing. You mentioned uh, our comedy concert uh, right. ep- episode we did with with Graham, um, and we tried in that episode to stick to theatrically theatrically released. Right. I mean, we 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 ventured off a little bit because right. there aren't. A lot of theatrically released comedy concerts. No, not anymore. at all. Um, and so that's what we're going to try and do here too, right? Uh, which is a little easier to do because they they still get uh, bigger releases. Yeah, but, but there are a whole lot. I mean, any band that you're into, you can you can you know you can go pick up the you know the widespread panic concert DVD. Right. Uh, so um, yeah, I just wanted to, wanted to mention that I'm not going to talk about the Smashing Pumpkins Euphoria or anything like that. Okay. Uh, yeah, except that I just mentioned it. Yeah, <laughs> much like the. You, I know you're finding movies. the back way into yeah. a lot of a lot of things here. <laughs> so, um, anyway, stop making sense. Another film that, uh, like the last waltz, almost does this doesn't show the audience, right? Uh, but for a different reason, uh, it's um, stop making sense is very much not. Uh, a bunch of guys getting together and jamming and having right. fun. It's a like meticulously planned out. Now this is the Talking Heads for those that don't know. Right? Yes, Talking so. Heads. Stop making sense. Um, yeah, it's it's choreographed and right. Uh, yeah, and, and and designed and it's it's uh, it's it's like an it's a like a like a piece like an art piece like a performance right. art piece. Right. You know, uh, and so. Uh, you know there are, there are costume changes, including of course the famous big suit. The big suit. Um, uh, but then there is, uh, unlike it sounds like the last waltz, there is the final song uh, mm-hmm. in Stopping Sense, which is uh, they play uh, "Cross-eyed and Painless." Okay, uh, one of many fantastic Talking Heads songs. Uh, I, unlike you, were you know you coming to the last waltz, not being not knowing much about the band. Right, I have long been a huge Talking Heads fan. So right. Something Sense was probably the first concert film I ever saw back in, I saw it like 98, you know, uh, when I was in high school because I loved the Talking Heads so much. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that aside, uh, during Cross-Eyed and Painless, um, not only do you see the audience, the camera is 
in the audience and hmm. it's it's uh you you spend as much time seeing people dancing in the audience as you do seeing the performance of Cross-Eyed and Painless That's which cool. is after this whole, you know, 90 plus minutes of just you maybe getting a glimpse of the audience at the bottom of the screen from the, you know, from the long shots, mm. but it's mostly just like this the the theater is the proscenium, you know, and yeah. you're just watching this performance and then all of a sudden you're you're there uh and uh Jonathan Demi I was reading about this uh in preparation for this Jonathan Demi said uh he did that because he he wanted uh he wanted the if he he said you know if he'd done his job right by the time he got to cross-eyed and painless the audience in the theater would feel just as elated as the audience that you see dancing so it was kind yeah. of like a a test he imposed on himself hmm. you know <laughs> could could this work? And, and it does. It's 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 amazing. Because that is one of the challenges. Is where, and and it's one. As I said, it's one of the things that uh, caused me to be resistant to this subgenre of film. Is like, well, I wasn't there. Uh-huh. I'm not there now. Some of these people are probably dead. But like, uh-huh. what's more is just like, why would I? Why would I want to watch people have fun on stage and then people have fun watching them? And I like, and I'm not there. I couldn't. I, that doesn't seem fun to me. And uh, but that and that is a challenge, you know. And I'll I'll actually talk uh, the next the next movie that I'll talk about. I'll talk about when it doesn't doesn't do it right. Doesn't handle it the well, way that, it should. You know, let's get, I don't know what else to say about stop making sense. I mean, you uh, you know what well, you went on at length about the last waltz, and I <laughs> uh, I got. Okay, listeners, I've got three movies to talk about. <laughs> I need to go on at length if I'm going to get a word in edgewise with this son of a bitch. <laughs> but, um, yeah, like I said, you know, uh, Stop Making Sense is... It, it, this is interesting that Last Waltz and Stop Making Sense are both films, uh, concert films by people who are narrative film directors. Yeah, Mark respected, Scorsese. I mean, yeah. Oscar-winning narrative yeah. directors like the... Top of their craft. Martin Scorsese, Jonathan Demme. Right. Um, and uh, I, I think that probably helps yeah. uh, a lot. I mean, uh, they, they, you know, they understand, they understand the, the sort of the, the pacing that an audience is going to expect when they... Right. And, and that's why these movies, you know, I, I feel like anyone... The, these two movies, the reason they're usually held up is as the top of the... Uh, the the top of the heap for concert films is that they don't appeal to just the fans. Right. They're they're made as movies that are meant to be enjoyed. Right. Uh, by by any audience. I mean, obviously, if you hate the music of the Talking Heads or you know, uh, David Byrne's weird paranoid voice. Like, right. Right. <laughs> I can see that being a turnoff. Yeah, it's uh, you know actually I did something just occurred to me. There is a movie that fits into what we're talking about. Respected director making a, a concert film, it just happens to also be fiction. Uh-huh. And I would say Prairie Home Companion. Oh, sure, yeah. It's kind of, it kind of is that as well. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of backstage stuff and it's, you know, scripted and improvised and stuff like that and everybody's just clearly playing a character. But there's just as much of that, you know, and it's very much a Robert Altman, you know, type shoot. You know, the camera always moving and kind of certainly not the herky-jerky way that uh, Scorsese did in The Last Waltz. It's just that fluid movement that he uses in, in all of his films. And uh, and it really... that That's that's an interesting film as well, especially seen in this context. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, 
I've heard people say that it's almost a musical, but if it's if it's a musical, it's just as much of a concert film as anything yeah. else. But um, okay, so what else you got on your list there? I'm I'm not I'm gonna parcel mine out a little bit. Well, um, you know, after I, I think I think it was last week or two weeks ago where I uh, went off on I'm not there. Yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, I'm gonna uh, shine the light as it were on Bob Dylan for a second. All right, um, there's a film that I. I don't know if I've ever mentioned on the podcast, but probably people who know me have probably heard me talk about it because I think it's amazing. It's called Festival. Okay. Uh, it's about uh, Murray Lerner is the, the director. He uh, basically he he went and filmed three or four consecutive Newport folk festivals in the early '60s when that sort of the sort of folk scene, which would eventually turn into the the hippie scene, essentially. Essentially, yeah. it was like this is where a lot of the pro- protest type of stuff that would eventually come to to uh, right. What's the word I'm looking for? I don't know. No, you don't know. Um, come to represent, I guess. <laughs> there we the, go. The hippie movement. That's not the word I was. I was looking for like a five dollar word, and I landed on a uh, like a buck seventy five one. Um, <laughs> so he uh, he 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 filmed like three consecutive Newport Filk, folk festivals. Okay. Uh, I said filk festival. Yeah. Do you know what filk. filking is? Oh, what filk? F- filk. Filk sounds dirty. Uh, <laughs> see, you're. This is this is why you didn't go to Comic Con. You're not nearly the nerd that I am. That's true. Because you have to be very nerdy to know about filking. Okay. Essentially, people who write folk type songs about their favorite, you know, be it TV shows or comic books or video games or whatever. Uh, look it up. There's all kinds of great songs about Firefly uh, on the internet. You know, I don't think I'm going to look it up. So. I think what you have just said will suffice. <laughs> That's what filking is, and uh, I'm going to make that documentary. Uh, yes. actually, I'm actually going to get what, together that... in Newport, Rhode Island and, and have the Newport <laughs> Folk Festival. Um, uh, all right. Uh, so festival is, like I said, it's three or four years in the making, but Murray Lerner plans it out, sort of presents it to you. You know, you start with people coming in, and then he 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 does the performances, uh, schedules them in a way where the light changes. Throughout. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's in black and white, but you can see it sort of becoming... You know, it's like noon, and then like it gets darker, and at the end it's the night. Even though these are not presented to you in the consecutive order they were necessarily right. performed, and then he he intersperses interviews throughout. But he also manages to have, you know, uh, a song you'll hear will feed into the interview, the next interview, and then something that's in the interview will feed into the next song. But it still keeps the structure. Hmm. It's really marvelously done, and I, I can't even imagine the task that it must have been to go through all this footage, you know, yeah. from, from all these, these concerts. Um, and, uh, that's, that's festival. It's a, it's a great film. Uh, it actually won, I think best documentary in 66 or 67 hmm. at the Oscars. Um, and then he also, uh, Bob Dylan played at all these Newport folk festivals, okay. including the one where he went electric. Oh, all right. Uh, and that's it. That's in the, I think it's in, I can't remember if it's in festival. I don't think it is in festival, but it's in this other one. Okay. Same guy. Yeah. He made another film from this, pretty much the same footage, but it was all Bob Dylan. It's called The Other Side of the Mirror. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's it's another thing where you can see, even in... It, it's obviously not like his whole life story. You know, you don't see the whole progression of Bob Dylan. Yeah. But you see the progression in a very short, you know, just a few years, this sort of uh, unassuming, kind of like kind of like nerdy but really enigmatic yeah. uh, guy who's seen these classic folk songs to within three years, he's it's like the birth of the persona that 
right. would come to he would kind of be identified with throughout the rest of the sixties, hmm. uh, and you see that solely through his song, almost solely through his songs. There, I think there are some there's some other footage, okay. but uh, it's pretty much just performance after performance, and he uh, you, you see him just change before your eyes. Uh, it's hmm. Uh, it's really fantastic, and if you like Bob Dylan, then I definitely recommend it because the songs are amazing. I do like. Now you you say that like you see this change occur. Is it mostly because when he's performing? I mean, it would have to really just be, you know, his interaction with the audience and just you know, yeah, play, and playing persona, up playing his... up certain things in the in the songs or. Yeah, but it's yeah, it's it, it's he doesn't really talk to the audience all that much. It's in his persona and in the way that he dresses. Uh, okay, yeah, the way yeah. That he carries himself, you know. Uh, he's, like, in the early footage where he's, like, it's, like, in the middle of the day and he's doing sort of, like, a side performance. I mean, I think he was also doing a, a major performance at that first festival, but he was doing, like, sort of a, in this, on this little, like, like gazebo-type thing, just doing this, doing these old folk songs with some other old, like, really old folkies, you yeah. know? Yeah. Uh, and that he's like, he, he's young and he's like I said, unassuming. But there's clearly something, you know, no pun intended, something very electric about right. him. Uh, and then of course you get to see the footage where he went electric, which is yeah, fascinating from just a you know historical uh, point of view. Right. Because there are you know that's the story is that and I, this is one thing that I'm not there kind of addressed in its stupid pretentious way. Um, it, the the story is of course that he was booed at, for going electric at the okay. Folk Festival. Uh, there's a really mixed reaction, in, uh, okay, and and it's really fascinating to hear. You know, hmm. you can hear you can hear boos and you can hear cheers. Uh, and, That's interesting. And then there are interviews, much like in I'm Not There. There are interviews afterwards uh, where people have different reactions to it. What I mean, what was. Uh like what was what was people's objection to it? Simply well, it's because a folk it's festival just and electric guitar is rock and roll. Oh, I see. I see. That's very narrow. Um, <laughs> that's, that's frustrating. Um, but uh, huh? Yeah. So okay. So festival was was the one about the just the whole thing. Yeah. And then the other side of the mirror. The other side of the mirror. That's okay. The Bob Dylan one. Um, all right. Well, I guess I'll go ahead and, and talk about uh, talk about this. So I. Uh, I'm a big fan of blues, as you know, David. I like mostly like old Delta blues, and uh, but I'm not above listening to a BB King from time to time. Uh, and so I rented the documentary Lightning in a Bottle, which is uh, something that I had been wanting to see uh, since it came out a few years ago. And um, and it's basically it's this big event. Uh, it was actually for a benefit. I don't know what it was. Uh, it was several years ago. It might have been an anti, like an anti-war uh, benefit no, or something. I don't think it was, I, but I can't remember either. Okay. It doesn't sound right. There was I, a lot of anti-war like stuff spoken on stage, right. but that might have just been a function of you know the time uh, and nothing to do with the benefit itself. But anyway, uh, like f- like fifty uh, big artists, you know, including BB yeah. King, Solomon Burke, uh, you know, came out and performed at this big. Uh, Oh, I think it was at the Radio City Music Hall. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, this big theater in New York. I don't know. But, uh, and it was interesting. And it's directed by uh, Antoine Fuqua. Yes. And, I've uh, seen it, by the way. Yeah, you have seen it. That's okay. right. That's right. And, uh, well, what, uh, let, me get, let me get your take on it. What do you, what do oh, you think? I, uh, I have a take on it. Okay. I think Lightning in the Bottle is 
fantastic. Okay. Uh, against all odds. Okay, against all odds. What are the uh, define that? What do you mean? Um, it it has every potential to just be a self congratulatory, uh, bullshit. Uh, just a slog of just like let's march out all these people and then okay. have the almost entirely white uh, <laughs> old white audience yeah uh, applaud them as I mean it it's it's it skirts the line of offensive to me that yeah. <laughs> like uh, it, that, that this music that is born in 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 pain and strife yeah. you know is uh, it, in in this in the twenty first century. Is is celebrated by, by essentially white-haired white men, right? And and yeah, that's it's something that I noticed at first. I was just like, there are not a lot of black people in that audience, and and part of me is just like, I just dismissed it, you know, because there were a few, and I thought, well, okay, whatever. Uh, and then after a certain point, I'm like, these are all middle-aged, probably rich. Yeah, white I, I don't. I don't think uh, tickets to that event were cheap. And that I think that was a that was a problem to me. Now that now that of course is a problem with the the event itself, not with the documentary. However, Antoine Fuqua as a filmmaker could have been like, let's not have the audience, let's not show them, let's have it be the focus. Uh, you know, because because basically in showing the audience, he is saying like, yeah, the blues was really it started one way, and this is how it has ended. Yeah, uh, I'm sure it's. Uh, I'm uh, those who know me know that uh, I'm something of an Antoine Fuqua defender. Right. Um, not you know, obviously, Tears of the Sun is fucking terrible. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I can't. I can't really make apologies for it. But anyway, <laughs> uh, I, I'm I'm sure that Antoine Fuqua wants us to have these thoughts that we're having. And that's and that's fine. But at the same time, there are you, we don't see any uh, record executives. We see the artists, and it's not the artist's fault. Perhaps, oh, yeah, sure. perhaps in some cases it is, but like it's one of those things where we instantly look and are at the audience and we're like, "Oh man, so this is what blues is." And the only, the only blame that we can, you know, as, you know, the only person we can assign blame to is not, it's not the audience themselves because they have good taste in music, you know. So it must be, you know, it's like the only, there's nowhere. If he wanted to make a documentary about that, he should have, and and but, talk to like some record record executives. But like the only people, it's supposed to be a celebration of this, and it winds up being this kind of weird half condemnation of a certain aspect of it. And it just—I don't know that it is a kind of—I don't know that the that the that the film or or Fuqua actually takes a stand on it. I think he wants to point it out to us. Just say, hey, by the way, this is kind of what it is now. Yeah, and I, but I mean, and and to get us talking about why it's like that, I suppose. I suppose. And, and I think you could make a case that it's good that it's like that. That it, you know, uh, perhaps it's it, it shows that 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 black people have made, uh, you know, have 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 moved up at least. I mean, enough in the world that they don't have to. That this isn't their voice anymore. That's true. You know, and that it's it's viewed as essentially like a, a curio. Uh, yeah, of, you know the like a know, minstrel show or something, right? And yeah. you know, and that 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 could be offensive, but it's essentially these. I, I think these rich white men uh, yeah. are fascinated by it because it's it's so exotic to them. It might as well be like you know Polynesian <laughs> music, right. you know. Right. Okay. All right. I guess I guess I I would uh, buy that. Now that is actually not my only problem with the documentary. I think I think all the musicians are great. You know what? I'll. Uh, I'll save that for a second from now. Um, okay. But uh, 
there's just certain filmmaking things that I don't care for. Like he will occasionally, like if a, somebody is playing, like he will cut to like an interview with that art- artist backstage, and it's uh-huh. like, okay, I'm fine with hearing this guy's story because it's awesome. Yeah. Maybe not interrupt what he's known for uh, to tell me this story. Like it's just yeah, it, like that bothers me, and it's just like. It's. It just didn't seem to really have a lot of respect for the music, and I'm. I'm sure he has respect for the music, but it's just like, yeah, just like Martin Scorsese. Really, he made a, a movie that went with the last waltz. He made a movie that it's like you forgot you were watching a movie. You felt like you were there. You not only did you feel like you were an audience member, you felt like you were one of the musicians. Like you were, you know, you were in with with the cool kids. But like with this one, I always remembered I was watching a movie. Like you know, because also. There'd be like a narrator that would come in sometimes and you never knew who it was. Like sometimes you would hear a voice come in talking about like a movement in the blues and it would and then it would cut to, oh, okay, so this was actually a guy giving interview foot, you know, Uh giving an answer. But other times it's just a narrator. You don't know who it is and you don't see who it is. And so it's (laughs) like, that's weird. It's just it's kind of it's kind of clumsily done. And uh, and it's it's frustrating. But. That's but that's a function of the way it's made. The yeah, and it is. I, I guess it is. It's not like the last waltz stopped making sense. You don't get caught up in it the same way. It's a little right. more scholarly. It, I, I'd say that's about right. I mean, right down from Martin Scorsese coming out and introducing it and oh, saying, right. "Hey, we want to, you know, document a history of the blues." And they do start from where it began, and they yeah. go through. And that's that is one of the great things about it. And this is something to its credit is. He'll do two things. He will, like when an artist comes out, like let's say, I don't know, let's say it's Buddy Guy. Buddy Guy comes out and it will do two things. First, his name will come up on the screen and then it'll go away. And then the song he's playing and who originally performed it comes up on the screen as well. Mm. And I think that's that's great. And so like if, you, like if you're a fan of blues and you watch this film you should write down every name you say you see on screen whether it be the person performing or the the person that you saw write this song uh-huh. um you know uh with a couple of exceptions i don't uh, yeah i don't need to see steven tyler uh do his version of whatever you know i'm fine <laughs> with seeing john fogarty because you know yeah. the song that he did uh, midnight special he made it his own it's a song ad- identified with him so Steven, you know, is, uh, Steven Tyler is your big problem with it? Because I, I can agree. Do you have any other big problem? Chuck D. Not him, not his presence, but what he did with it. Okay. His, I, now, refresh my memory, because I saw it. It was, it was a while. five years old, so I saw it uh, five yeah, years ago. Yeah, it's four ago. years old. Oh, it's four years old? Okay. Then yeah. I saw it four years ago. Right. But, um, yeah, sorry, I don't know why. It's not a big deal. But, um, <laughs> yeah, uh, basically, uh, you know, like, John, okay, John Lee Hooker, was he was basically the he was the bb king of his time you know and uh he was like the biggest blues guy everybody really loved him and rightfully so he was he was turning out great stuff right up until the end of his life was which was only a a few years ago um but his big song the one that everybody knows is called boom boom Uh all right and uh so and i remember after a while i'm like they're not paying any tribute to john lee hooker like they're covering like you know a lot of these you know a lot of these uh iconic uh blues performers and they're not they haven't gotten to him yet and then they got to him and I'm like all right who's going to who's going to you know do his thing and out com- and so out comes Chuck D and it's like okay 
That's cool. I like that. Yeah. So then he turns, uh, he turns Boom Boom into an anti-war. This is why I, uh, this is why I thought it was that. Right. He turns it into like an anti-war thing, uh, and uh, by clumsily adding the word no to the front of the uh, of the title, no boom 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 boom. No, thank you. We don't want that uh, because booms, of course, are bombs. And um, oh. yeah, uh, so he <laughs> so he does that, and then. I'm fine with somebody reinterpreting the song, but he reinterprets it so much that it's like, this isn't even close to anything that John Lee Hooker did. And uh, and it winds up not being an honor to him at all. And, and then I'm like, but so... Just because it's not an honor to the style of music, I mean, it's still... It's still someone... I mean, Chuck D is, in his own right, revered. It, very much so, yes. And so he... Uh, what's wrong with him? He, he can pay, honor, pay, pay tribute however he, he sees fit. I suppose, but at the same time, it's. I guess because it's very, it's very jarring the way he does it because nobody does it that nobody like completely reinterprets it to their style of music. Even Steven Tyler, and you know, even he sticks to you know sticks to the script a little bit. Like, well, like Aerosmith have been just a bunch of ciphers. Well, the past twenty years anyway, pretty, pretty much. But like they just. Uh, whatever, whatever Diane Warren thinks of them to, to do, it's, just a, it's a Diane Warren song as interpreted by. Interpreted is even too strong a word. Yeah, as I hope I don't get ins- any hate mail from Aerosmith fans the way I did from yeah. I'm not their fans. As instructed to Steven <laughs> yeah. Tyler, um, I guess maybe my problem with with that specific thing, and that's not, and that's the thing, it's not a function of the filmmaking, but it is something that just. It's like, well, I'm fine with him being so inspired by John Lee Hooker and by blues that he actually does this, like, does something like this on an album. But like, this is a celebration of the blues as the art form. You know yeah. what I mean? And so, as such, you know, well, it's yeah, not. I have to disagree with you again because okay. it's, it's it's not. I don't think it is just the music. I think it's it, it's worthwhile to celebrate the impact that it has had. And uh, you know, blues is always w- was very you know socially relevant music. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Chuck D might be a little less subtle about it, but that's the nature. I mean, <laughs> hip-hop is not meant to be. Hip-hop is, it's right. often been said hip-hop is the yeah. black punk rock. Yeah, you know? not a lot of whispers in hip-hop. <laughs> yeah, so it, it might not be very subtle, but it's 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 carrying on the same tradition. I guess it is, but I guess just, you know, I, everything about the concert and the way it was done was done from a very purist point of view. Except that, and I like, that's the thing, I don't think he's doing it, I don't think he's necessarily doing a disservice, and I respect his motives, but it's just the execution of it, it's like, mm, I don't, eh, it, it's, it's very jarring, and it's, and it, and because it's the only one like it, that, like, if, if after a certain point, like, everyone is doing that, then I'm almost okay with it, because like, hey, this is the modern version of blues, and here's where we are now. But anyway, so, well, so yeah, Lightning uh, in a Bottle, it's worth watching, because the music is really great. Well, I've got, I have a perfect segue, except that there's one more thing about Lightning in the Bottle that I oh. want to say. There's one performance that I think transcends the, the, the scholarly approach, that I think okay. is really fascinating to watch, and I wonder how these sort of, uh, maybe not, not too uh, radical white middle-aged men reacted to it okay and that's david johansson's performance oh yeah which is so <laughs> bizarre and idiosyncratic oh yeah he, it's a is what is he what is he doing oh i can't remember now 
Because I haven't seen it in four years. You just watched it. What's your excuse? <laughs> because there's 50 performances right. in it, yeah. maybe. Um, oh, what? I but, can't remember what song he does or who it's who it's by, but it's it is, awesome to watch. It is awesome to watch. And actually, uh, a lot of my... I love pretty much everything David Johansson has ever done, including Buster Poindexter. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, li- you know, I like uh, the New York Dolls. I like him just by himself. I like Buster Poindexter. And then I like his most recent incarnation, which is David Johansson and the Harry Smiths, which that, I think that's kind of what got me started on my Delta Blues kick. Uh-huh. And so when I saw that he was in it, I'm like, oh, this will be, be interesting. And then he comes out with just... And he is just growling. Yeah. And, I mean, the lights are, like, this dark red. He's, like, some kind of demon. Yeah. And he's just screeching it. And I and it's, like... And part of me is, like, well, I'm not... It's, like, he can be a really good singer, but he's not really, you know, he's not really hitting a lot of the notes. But... And I guess, I guess maybe in this way, you know, in this way, I guess it is similar to the Chuck D thing. He's not hitting the notes... But he's really hitting the emotional impact yeah. of it, just you know, because you know he was really playing up just the vitality and yeah, you know, of of the blues, and it was uh, it really. I'm glad that you remember that one because it's a, it's yeah, a, it's a great and insane performance. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so here was going to be my great uh, transition. Speaking okay. of hip hop, as you were. Oh, okay. Uh, I wanted to talk about Jay Z, Fade to Black. Okay. Uh, which is kind of oh. A weird thing now because it was supposed to, it was supposed to document it documented two things okay the making of what was supposed to be his final album before he retired and his final concert before he retired okay and of course he has since <laughs> unretired yeah <laughs> so it doesn't really work anymore it's not like the last waltz yeah you know, you know just look at it as uh, Kubrick's two thousand one you know right. <laughs> just uh, yeah we didn't have that by that time so let's just uh, take it for what it's worth. Um, but this is another one that really skirts the line between concert film and, and just, uh, you know, rock doc or, right. or hip hop doc. Uh, um, it's, it's, it's an awesome concert film. It's, it's a good concert film. I, I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to show my, my rockism here. Uh, okay. I've never really enjoyed live hip hop the way that I enjoy hmm. live rock and roll. Uh, what is that? What is the, uh, what is the difference for you? Uh, I don't know. I think I'm just a rockist. Oh, okay. Right. <laughs> I mean, I like hip hop a lot, but uh, I-, I like listening to it, you know, in the car or on the iPod or yeah. whatever. And uh, I don't know. It's, I'm not saying one is better than the other. It's purely just my okay. bias. Anyway, that's neither here nor there because uh, it's a, it's a really good good performance. But it also uh, documents, like as I said, the making of of the Black Album, um, and it's. It's a fantastic like window into into who he is and how he works because you see this guy and he, you know he's like a like a lot of uh, you know uh, contemporary or especially like nineties uh, mainstream hip hop his stuff is very uh, he's he's a braggart you know mm-hmm. and he's 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 his his persona in his songs has this this big ego and he's just like I don't know you know laid back and fucking just in control of everything. Right. But in a very sort of, uh, 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 I don't know, very cool way. Yeah. Um, you don't see him as a guy who is maybe obsessive. Hmm. Uh, but when you see him making his album, you see why his albums are so great, which they are, 
you know, I don't know if you're a fan, but Jay, I think Jay Z is amazing. Couldn't tell you a single song he's ever made. He's <laughs> Not even Big Pimpin', isn't he? No oh, that, that sounds like something. Because <laughs> um, uh, yeah, he is uh, almost a. Um, uh, a tyrant with the people that he's he's working with, but not not in he's not mean, but he's he's very much into keeping everyone on task, right? Uh, and you can see him being, uh, which is something that you know, uh, I guess, about Jay Z. Since you know, see him being into other kinds of music than okay. hip hop, because uh, and and being like, because Rick Rubin produces a song, you know, and mm. he's just like fascinated by Rick Rubin's house because they shoot Rick Rubin has his own recording studio in his house right. and his house is fucking weird like he has all these he's just like his like I don't know like stuffed boars and <laughs> like his, isn't uh, Rick Rubin just doesn't he have a big long crazy beard isn't yeah. he just a weird guy in general yeah but he's also I mean he founded Def Jam along with oh Russell okay Simmons, yeah. so he's uh, a big name in hip hop even though he he's since gone on to be known for you know the deaf american label and doing right. things like slayer and system of a down and then the uh reimaginings of johnny cash and right. neil diamond which okay a uh, little tangent <laughs> completely unrelated i want to talk about the neil diamond record that that rick rubin did okay i heard good things about it yeah i guess here's the thing it's it seems like it's rick rubin telling neil diamond what he really is like it's uh. okay with with johnny cash it kind of made sense. Like the stripped down approach was really, right. it really, it really is about Johnny Cash's guitar and, and his words. And right. That's really what it's about. And Rick Rubin trying to do that. I mean, Neil Diamond is, has written a number of very fantastic songs, Yeah, but that's not really, it's not like Johnny Cash where he's just a, a born storyteller and that's what it's all about. He's, right. Neil Diamond's a performer, you know, very much so. And it, it, it doesn't seem like a, it, it really does seem like Rick Rubin telling Neil Diamond and telling the audience, no, this is what Neil Diamond is. Right. Uh, you you should scoff at all the other things that he's done that people love, you right. know, even because uh, because maybe they're too square. But me, with my big crazy beard, I'm hip, and I understand right. the soul of Neil Diamond. Hmm. And, and uh, Anyway, I, I just thought it was a little condescending. Hmm. Yeah, even uh, Neil Diamond in uh, the Last Waltz, which he uh, he does show up, and uh, no, I didn't get to that part. And he doesn't, you know, a, he does a good job, but uh, it's one of those things. It's like he does have that stigma of like, uh, what the hell is Neil Diamond doing here? He doesn't seem to fit at all. And then, of course, his awesome voice is like, uh, you know, I'm fine. I'm uh, I can I can sing this. It's it's fine. But uh, yeah, he doesn't need no Rick Rubin telling him what to do. All right, uh, what did you have to say about Woodstock? What don't I have to say about Woodstock is more like it, David. Hopefully you don't have much to say because we're going on. Movie's three hours, David. I, uh, I have to, you know, I have to speak proportionally. <laughs> David has dropped the mic and stormed out. Um, I'm back. Is the mic still working, David? Who knows? You Looks know what? Like it. If not... Hold on, uh, you stop talking. All right. And I will talk. Yeah, it's still, still working. Okay, good. All right, so Woodstock. Uh, it's absolutely amazing. Uh, okay. I'll start with that. It is something that I was reluctant, uh, much like everything else. And actually, I was excited to watch Last Waltz, even though I knew nothing about it. Now, I've was, never seen Woodstock, but let me say to you what the eighth grade version of myself would say to you about it. Okay. There's tits in it, right? Yes. <laughs> okay. But here's what the homophobic Tyler says. There's also dicks. Okay. <laughs> All right. So be careful. 
All right. So start, so be looking, but you'll see when one's on its way and you'll be like, oh, I need to look away. Um, thankfully, there's all that split screen. So you can just look to the left side okay. of the screen. Um, but uh, good Lord. Anyway, so, um, yeah, I, I, I. It sounds weird. I don't care for uh, a lot of the like hippie things of the 60s like anytime like a character in a movie like did you ever see charlie it was uh the flowers for algernon yeah um you almost said algernon didn't you yeah i always yeah. do now uh, I, I did that in my head but anyway um yeah and uh, cliff robertson uh won an oscar for playing uh charlie this guy who is uh mentally handicapped and then becomes very smart and uh, there's a part in it when he decides he's going to uh become a rebel and uh, he embraces all the uh uh, 60s hippie stuff and it's uh, a horrible nothing dates a movie like 60s hippie stuff alright <laughs> and Woodstock is an entire film of it and I'm like I do not want to watch three plus hours of hippie stuff um, but so that that's the attitude I had I literally was like freaking Richard Nixon going into this <laughs> going into this movie but um Man, it freaking, it turned me around, not on hippies, but just, it, it was such a, just, that's the thing. It is a movie that is linked to the event now. I mean, the two, it's not, it wasn't documenting the event, it was part of it. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, it was, the cameras were there on stage, it got the planning, it got the building of the stage, it got, you know, it got, I don't know, I can't imagine how many cameras were running because they got everything. There's a reason they have that split screen stuff. It's an artistic choice, but also it's them saying there are a million things happening at once and we're going to get, we're going to try and show you all of them. And they do for the most part, like, you know, it'll show, you know, people in the middle of the crowd. And then of course on one side of the screen and on the other, uh, a camera will be in town talking to the old chief, you know, the elderly chief of police, uh, mm-hmm. And his take on the situation, and it just. But what's more is just it, you. You. We were talking about this actually uh, with Jimmy Pardo. Just how you watch it, and the documentary. You know, it, it makes artistic choices and stuff. But the best it can do, the best thing it can do, it does, which is it lets the artists and the fans and the townspeople lets them speak for themselves. It doesn't try and make a point. I mean, it will show when people. You know, it's like, oh, peace. And like you think of like when you think of Woodstock, you think of like, oh, like a bunch of hippies in the mud, but they don't care. Some of them cared. Some of them were like, this is this is bullshit, man. And then like there's and then there was one there, there was one uh, particularly uh, frustrating hippie who uh, was talking about it's just like there's planes flying over seed in the clouds, man. They're trying to they're seeding the clouds so that it'll rain on us. And I'm like, and then, yeah, and then, so, and then his hippie friend right behind him was just, is like, uh, is like, yeah, why doesn't the news cover that? <laughs> and, and so I'm like, oh, hippies. But uh, anyway, um, it's, it's weird. Like, I didn't think, like, I didn't know I, I had a problem with, like, hippies specifically until I watched this. Like I didn't like psychedelic 60s stuff. And then I'm just like, no, just hippies. Yeah. I don't care for them. <laughs> but, uh, so it shows the negative side of it. It shows somebody in the midst of these hundreds of thousands of people getting freaked out and claustrophobic as you probably would. 
Uh-huh. And so it just they show everything. And one thing that they are not, you know, they don't try and paint the local townspeople as like stupid hicks that don't get it. It shows there are a couple people that are like, ah, oh, this is just this is this is awful, you know, uh-huh. because so not necessarily as a function of who these kids are, but just the sheer number of them and the effect that it's having on the yeah. town. But like the, I mean, so there's so much respect going on between the musicians and the and the crowd and the townspeople. Like you know, it's it's interviewing this one woman who is uh, this elderly woman who's working on her car with her husband standing next to her, which is very strange, but um, it's a funny image. But uh, and they're interviewing these two people, and uh, and you know, these bunch of young kids walk up and they're like, "Hey, can I use your phone?" And then you and this these grizz, this grizzled couple, you expect them to be like, "You can't use my phone, hippie." No, they say it's like, you know what, actually, uh, the phones don't work right now, uh, but, you know, I've got water for you. Are you thirsty? And they're like, yeah. And so she's like, all right, come on in. And so she brings these strange people into their house. And, like, and that that chief of police I was telling you about was like, he goes, these are the nicest people you're you're ever going to want to meet, you know, and he says all this stuff. And then, like, and then the, the filmmaker is like, it's like that's kind of weird coming from a cop, and he goes, "I'm not a cop. I'm the chief of police." And I'm like, "That's <laughs> awesome." <laughs> so, and then of course the flip side, it shows you know like an army helicopter comes in and brings like doctors and stuff for uh-huh. you know like the kid that was born at Woodstock and that whole thing, and the somebody on the PA system makes an announcement in which it's like, "Hey, that you know we're no. we're seeing that color chopper come down," but. You know what these? It's like, and you might feel inclined to shout something at these people. They are bringing us doctors. So, and then there's just huge applause for the army. And it's just, it really yeah. captures. It's something. It's like that. It it was an amazing event, and it really captures the epic scope of it. Let me talk about that baby born born at Woodstock. Okay, because people say, you know, oh, that's so awesome. There was a baby born at Woodstock. What that means is that some dumb hippie lady. Oh yeah. Went to Woodstock when she was nine months pregnant. Yeah, yeah. That, that's that's horrible. It, it is awful. It's 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 two things. It's like oh, she. It means somebody made a bad decision. Uh-huh. Probably nine months after they made another bad decision. <laughs> but then what's more is uh, is yeah, it's the first also, bad decision was having sex with a hippie. Oh, <laughs> that's always the worst. Condoms aren't natural. Um, <laughs> but like, but also it speaks to. It's just like statistically, you know, there's. 300, 400,000 people, somebody might be pregnant, you know, uh-huh. and maybe that, you know, maybe the baby comes a month early because uh, somehow in the midst of all these drugs floating around, maybe the baby <laughs> decided to come early. But, um, you mean to get his hands on some? To get his hands on some. <laughs> and it's funny because, like, they, you know, you hear people talk about, uh, it's like, hey, uh, there's a don't eat the brown acid like right. somebody stands on the stage and says that. And then this guy later known as a uh, wavy gravy yeah. shows up and he's like, hey, for the record, that brown acid is not poison. It's just it's just poorly made. So if you want to do it, it's your trip. And I'm like, oh, wavy. It's like, oh, wavy gravy. And it's just and that's the thing. It's just. My le- clearly, as you can tell, my level in, my level of enthusiasm, it, it's just it is an amazing film. It won the Oscar that year, rightfully so. It is one of the. It's a great documentary. That's the thing. It's a. It's a great rock doc because it's about so. It's about the performances, but so much more. 
Um, but it's also a great concert film because you see, you know, the same guitarist from like eight different angles. And, uh, you know, and of course I don't mind, I don't mind the audience being shown here because the audience is just as much a part of this as the musician. It really is. It's, it's amazing. And it's something, it's weird. It's something that like, once I watched it, I instantly went you know, online to see how these subsequent, you know, 1979, 1989, 1994, and 1999, uh, Woodstocks went. And, uh, and it just like, it's like, and of course the complaints, they never went as well, of course, but even the ones that didn't erupt in horrible violence and rape, uh, like 99, like 99, uh, even the ones that didn't have that, it, it was a th- it was a thing now it wasn't a random thing and so everybody complained about just like for like a basically like a personal pan pizza it cost 12 bucks like uh-huh. it just it was that now yeah. you know it was sponsored by pepsi it was yes. you know it's just like and it's one of those th- and that's one of the reasons it's such a great documentary because it is documenting something that truly cannot happen again no matter how much they try yeah and uh it's you've got to see it everybody's got to see it it's amazing Hippies aside, it's great. So it'll make you. It'll it'll make you. It sounds weird because I'm both claustrophobic and I don't care for hippies and I don't like being outside. That said, I wish I was there. It was one of those things like I really wish this because it's something that you've. The people there, they've got that with them for the rest of their lives. It truly was like, certainly a big point. You know, a big pivotal point in. our country's history, if not world, you know, because it's just that kind of thing just has never, had never happened before. So it really is amazing. And, and the, and you really get a sense of the scope of it because the filmmakers were committed to just, we're going to get, we're going to try and get every single aspect of this. I can't like, they spent a lot of money on the event itself. I can't imagine how much money they spent on film and cameras. I mean, it's, it's insane. But anyway, so that's all I got for that. <laughs> well, I was going to talk about the Leonard Cohen, I'm Your Man. Oh, I wanted to see that. Uh, don't bother. Really? Okay. It's kind of like the lightning in a bottle thing where it's, uh, you only see Leonard Cohen perform once. It's other people doing Leonard Cohen songs. That kind of bums me out. Yeah, it's, like it's at exactly least, as bad as it sounds. Like at least in The Last Waltz, at least the band was always there, you know? And yeah. every once in a while, you know, they would play by themselves and then, you know... Somebody would come on, you know. Um, did you see Neil Young, Heart of Gold? I didn't. I didn't either. It's I was playing I, at I really the Arrow in Santa Monica on August 28th with Stop Making Sense. Listeners, double feature. I'll see you there. Let's go. <laughs> um, actually, that sounds pretty cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's... Uh, so, yeah, Leonard Cohen, I'm Your Man. It's got interviews with Leonard Cohen in between, and you yeah. kind of wish that was the whole movie. <laughs> like, I want Errol Morris to make a movie about Leonard Cohen, because right. he's just fascinating to listen to. Yeah, I mean, when I uh, when I first heard what it was, I thought it was just a documentary about him, and then it's a concert film, but it's... Like, it, that's the thing, you know, almost everything... It, almost every documentary that I watched for this, uh, it was an event with, like, a lot of big names. It wasn't uh-huh. just, you know, it wasn't Gimme Shelter, where it's just one band playing, you know? Right. And I kind of, I'm kind of, I kind of want to see that. I kind of, that's one of the reasons I want to see Shine a Light because right. it's just Stop them. Sense. I want to see Stop Making Sense as well. But, uh, so another good one, actually, I saw it so long ago that I, I cannot talk about it, but it's, uh, 
it's the Roy Orbison, you know, oh, it was yeah. back in the, the 90s. I think it's called Black and White. And that's one where, you know, you've got like Bruce Springsteen and Elvis Costello and Tom Waits and a bunch of people on stage with him, each playing a different instrument, but he's front and center. You know, that's, it's a, it's, it's a, it was both a concert and a documentary that got the focus right. It's about him. You know, it's not about these people interpreting him. It was about him. And it was awesome. I like Roy Orbison. Um, well, I wish I had got Teresa. Ever since I told Teresa what we were doing, the, you know, music month, she was like, well, you're, uh, you've seen Hail, Hail, Rock and Roll, right? The Chuck Berry one? Because I'm a big oh, Chuck Berry right. fan. And I haven't seen it. And Teresa will not get off my case because she loves Hail, Hail, Rock and Roll. <sighs> you're old lady, man. <laughs> but you know what? I, I want to have a girlfriend that's going to nag me to watch Hail, Hail, Rock and Roll. <laughs> like, that's the kind of nagging that I like. Exactly. See? That's the spirit of Woodstock right there. <laughs> so, uh, anyway. All right. Well, uh, thanks, everybody, for uh, for listening. Uh you can write us at uh, battleshippretension at hotmail.com. And uh, we have been getting a lot of feedback uh, lately uh, with in, re- in relation to Music Month. So uh, thanks for that. Keep it coming. And, uh, Maybe we'll, we'll have get- some more theme months yeah. coming up. Yeah, oh, I, I like the idea We had said a month ago that we were going to be doing a, a live show sometime at the end of August. Yeah. It's still going to happen, but probably not in August. Right. It might be like earlier mid-September. We're not yeah. sure. But Maybe we will get a, uh, it'll be a show for my birthday. Oh, that'd be nice. <laughs> yeah, uh, so we'll, we'll let you guys know about that. And uh, till next week, uh, we'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.